Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Our prayer story is not one of praying specific prayers and getting immediate and expected answers. Our prayer story is one of clinging to the hope that God is the God of restoration, redemption, and resurrection, and scratching and clawing our way into his presence even when all we were seeing around us was delay, disappointment, and death. Uh, So yeah, back, uh, I guess it was in 2014, uh, my wife and I, decided, kind of made the the decision that we were ready to start a family. And uh, at that point, thinking it was going to be super easy, um, just, I mean, people, all of our friends were starting to have kids. It was really simple. They started trying to have kids. They had kids. And uh, so we were ready to to start that journey. And uh, a few months turned into several months and several months turned into a year, uh, which then turned into some conversations with uh, fertility doctors and things like that. And, and before we knew it, we were multiple years into the process. And at that point, our you know our prayers really started getting more desperate, um, maybe even angry or frustrated or annoyed. Uh, There's just a lot of confusion. And those few years turned into, you know, it turned out to be five years where we had gone through, you know, every fertility treatment under the sun, um, you know, endured some really tough moments, uh, a lot of disappointment, a lot of hope along the way that turned into some disappointment, uh, just looking for signs, looking for anything from God, like any any signs that he was working or moving. And really through that whole process, while there was so much hurt, uh, it, it forced us to be close to God. It forced us to pray in a way that was, that was expectant and hopeful, almost pleading for action, um, which I think brought us to a, a much closer relationship, even through a lot of that pain and struggle. Uh, and eventually, you know, some of those prayers, you know, he, he kind of guided us and, and gave us some um, some different feelings towards things like adoption. Uh, so we went, we entered some, you know, foster to adopt classes and um, eventually the, the adoption process um, really miraculously led us uh, to our son. And our minds are blown to this day, on the daily, our son is two and a half years old, and we still think, how is this our story? Like, mm-hmm. how, how is this our reality? And we say it in the best way possible. And speaking of prayer, you know, things that we saw about prayer during this journey, there were times when we didn't have the strength to pray and people prayed for us. And with prayer, we saw people who were far from God drawing near to God on our behalf. So our prayer story also invited other people into their own prayer story and the idea that God was drawing people to himself through our journey is that is above and beyond anything we could have asked. You know, we just thought we were praying for our own little family, this thing that was just going to impact us, but as with God, like it's always about something bigger. Some of the you know, revelation that Asha talked about was not apparent throughout the entire journey. I mean, there were, I'm telling you, there were some weak prayers there. There were some moments where we didn't really know what to ask. We probably just repeated the same prayer night after night. Um, 
And if I'm being completely honest, I didn't believe anything was going to happen. You know, when you when you constantly experience disappointment, it can be difficult to to be optimistic and have hope. And that's where people came alongside us to Asha's point. So there was just the story that God was weaving through prayer, uh, where we were praying for something specific, but so much happened on the periphery. I mean, it taught me to pray for my wife, just for her well-being and um, peace of mind, and, and to maintain hope. And you know, she prayed for me to stay the course and um, you know be bold and, and things like that. So. Uh, we learned a lot about ourselves, we learned a lot about each other, it strengthened our bond, it strengthened bond with family and, and friends. Um, and I just think it, you know, God received glory when we eventually brought a boy, you know, back to our house. So just an amazing experience that we could have never foreseen or envisioned when we just had our small prayer at the beginning that seemed so simple, um, you know, turned into a much bigger thing, but an experience even through all the pain that we're certainly grateful for. Isn't that good? Thank you, Jake and Asha, for, for doing that, and what a wonderful uh, start to our series. Uh, I want to welcome those who are joining us online. You've already been welcomed, but if you just tuned in, uh, we're just welcome, welcome you here. My name is Roger Hurth, and I serve as lead pastor here at Generation. I feel like I've had church already. I don't know about you, with the worship and communion and a great testimony, and so hopefully I, I can add to that this morning and encourage you with the word. You know, during prayer... Um, the Lord, I just put the scripture on my heart. Perhaps it's for someone here. It's not part of my sermon, but it says, uh, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Um, there's a lot of fear in this world, isn't there? A lot of anxiety that, that um, controls a lot of people. And God just said, Don't fear. Like, I've got this. I'm God, right? And so, um, but anyway, let's pray. I'll start out with prayer before I get into the scripture this morning. And um, just ask God to reveal, as I pray, just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal uh, His Word to you. Father, we thank You that Your Word's powerful. That it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, as it says in Psalms 119. Lord, illuminate our, our way. Uh, Lord, I just thank you that we don't have to walk in confusion, but we can walk uh, with sure-footedness, Lord, in this world because of your word and because of the peace that, that, uh, you, that only you can give. We thank you for it. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we start this series, uh, I want to read our key text for um, this entire series. And it's found in Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus is, he's addressing his disciples. But along with his disciples has come this crowd. So it says that there's also a very large crowd. And uh, this chapter 7 comes, well, before 6 and before 5. And 5, 6, and 7 is the uh, Sermon on the Mount. So this is the end of his preaching on Sermon on the Mount. And it's really good. So it says in here, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Boy, I killed this the first service. <laughs> Ask, and it will be given to you. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Seek, 
and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will be given a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will be given a serpent? If you then, who are evil, (laughs) thank you, Jesus, um, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? So here, once again, Jesus is turning uh, to the subject of prayer, and He's showing us the importance. In fact, in chapter 6, right before this, we have the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus is actually teaching the disciples to pray. He's teaching them how to pray. And in this passage, Jesus expresses prayer with three levels of intensity. It's in the form of asking, it's in the form of seeking, and then it's in the form of knocking. If I could look at each of those just for a moment here. In asking, um, in a sense, it's sometimes we just need to make known our request to God. Like, like let it be your default. If you're going through something... Uh, let it be your default. Have you ever like turned on a computer, your computer goes down, and then when it boots back up, it, it defaults to whatever? Well, let your default in any situation be, I'm going to ask God. And God knows, you know what's interesting is God knows what you're going to say anyway. But He's asking us to ask, even though He knows what you're going to say. James says it this way, You have not because you ask not. Wow, that easy. NIV, I like the way they put it. It says you don't have because you don't ask God. So he's simply saying ask. Then there's seeking. Sometimes we have to search a little bit. We've got to dig a little bit, right, into his word. Like what's the heart of God? What's his will? What's he saying? It's not a simple ask. Lord, I just really want to seek you. I don't want to be flippant about my ask. God, I'm, I'm seeking you. Um, when, it's when you desperately search for something, there's, there's a, a, a determination. Like you're determined that you are going to ask in seeking Him, right? It's a matter of paying attention with an engaged mind and an acute awareness. You know, like just in silence, like, Holy Spirit, speak to me. I seek you. I seek your word. And, and I want to be able to ask. Psalms 34 says, Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord, they lack no good thing. You see, there's this seeking. You can even be strong and powerful like a lion, but if you seek the Lord, then you're not going to lack because you're really trying to hear from Him. So we've raised the level of intensity. We've gone beyond asking. And then there's knocking. Uh, If someone's behind a door and you know it, you will keep knocking. It's a a thing of persistence. You're going to just keep going. The promise that goes along with all three of these levels of prayer are all who ask 
are going to receive. And all who seek, you're going to find. And all who knock, the door will be opened. Those are the words of Jesus. Okay? We didn't make those up this morning. This is Jesus. Then notice that uh, Jesus gives an example of human parenthood to make the connection. That a reasonable human parent that is born with sin in their heart is capable of giving good things to their children. The point of the whole comparison, it's begging us to ask the question, do human parents born in sin have more love and better intentions than God? He's forcing us to ask this. God's saying, do you care about your kids more than I care about mine? I'm going to use this illustration because I want you to ask that question. Do you exceed God's love and His mercy for His own children? Do you exceed that? And it goes on, if a child asks for something like bread, there's no way he's going to be given a rock, which is kind of interesting. A rock could look a lot like bread, right? It's kind of like counterfeit, potentially. That'd be cruelty. That would lack compassion, and it is not the character of God. So God's making this comparison on purpose. Like, I mean, you're born in sin, and like, do you got more? No, uh-uh. And, and, and what's great about that is, is we as parents know that we give our lives right, for our kids. The conclusion of verse 11 is, if you, if you then, though you are evil, born into sin, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much infinitely more, Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? So in a sense, two points are being made here. That God answers prayer, He's telling you, and that God will always do what's best for His children. It's as, just as a parent would, but without sin. And it's perfect. You know, I could try to bless my child in doing something, but potentially get it wrong, right? Because I'm not perfect, so even in the good that I want to do, it could st still not be maybe productive because I'm not perfect. But God is, and God knows what you need. But now we have to address the huge Grand Canyon, the gulf, the tension that we have. The promises versus the way life seems to play out. In your outline, in fact, there's a, I believe it said, the tension of the promises versus the way life seems to play out. And we all do. We go through puzzling, discouraging situations because of unanswered prayer. Lots of unanswered prayer. Uh, and we don't know what it is all the time. And sometimes we think, well, you know, there's the, like the relationship that, that, that I really wanted. I wanted it to work out and it didn't, right? The job interview that we diligently prayed for, but it didn't result in a job. The financial investment that went south when we thought it would go north. The physical healing that was not answered. Question, 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 question. I prayed, I did all those things. Maybe we didn't ask in the right way, right? 
Or maybe we did something wrong. You know, you begin like, okay, so what's that all about? My life. Like, maybe uh, something's barring the answer. Or maybe does God even care? So we have all these questions. And frankly, it would not be such a big problem if God did not talk so much about prayer because the Bible is so full of prayer. Over and over in Scripture, it tells us that specific prayers bring specific results. And when our reality doesn't meet up with our expectations, we can crash. Oh, what's this all about? Why even pray anymore? You know. I heard a uh, story of a pastor. He received a phone call. He was finishing up a radio broadcast. And uh, the woman said on the line, he got a phone call, and uh, she said, I wanted to let you know that I used to believe in God, and now now I don't. The pastor asked why she lost her faith, and she explained that she and her husband attended a Bible-believing church in Queens. The husband came home from the doctor with news of cancer. So the pastor of the church, uh, they prayed for them, prayed for the husband's recovery. Even other churches in the area joined in. So the husband became weaker and weaker, and the cancer continued. And the pastor did what every good pastor should do. He encouraged them, just have faith. You know, God will heal The pastor quoted verses from the Bible, have faith, don't doubt, all of God's promises, ask what you desire and it will be done for you, believe it, trust in God. The cancer grew worse, the couple uh, followed the Bible to the letter of the law, they, uh, as in James, they called the elders of the church to anoint and to pray, and the pastor continued to encourage. The Bible says that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Raise them up. Believe it. God will heal. And eventually the husband died. The pastor felt that he needed to explain. Probably his first mistake. Perhaps he said that she didn't have enough faith. And perhaps there were secrets in the husband's life that she didn't know about her. Maybe he really wasn't even a Christian. She knew of no secret sin. She always believed her husband to be a true believer. So she finally concluded that the Bible must not be true and there really is no God. All she once believed was in fact untrue. Or at the very least, it didn't work when she most needed it. There's something in this story that we can all relate to, different points, different questions that come up. Not enough faith. Unconfessed sin. Or something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with God. And with those conclusions, we can have a crisis of faith. God's not there, so if so, He can't or won't do anything, and some accuse God of just pure injustice. 
That's our Christian walk. We're, we're told to pray. We're told to ask. We're told to seek. We're prayed, we're prayed to, believe, to believe. There's this chasm. There's this gulf. There's this tension. And so I want us to consider six reasons. I'm sure there's a lot, a lot more. But I just want to go over six really clear, basic reasons of um, that maybe that we can look at. Uh, it, it appears that God's not answering our prayer. And what I want you to do is I want you to please hear me out on the first one. Because I don't want to sound like that pastor. Number one is we have very little or no faith. I agree that the subject of faith can be abused like in the story. But it is imperative that we acknowledge that the Bible has a lot to say about faith. We would be delusional if we did not consider our level of faith and our confession. Some of us have experienced and heard churches overemphasizing faith. The unhealthiness comes in when the emphasis is on one's faith more than it is on the all-sufficiency and the character of God. It's where you start having faith in your faith rather than having faith in God. But the flip side, we can have a knee-jerk reaction and overcompensate and live a life of faithlessness. We actually downplay the multitude of scriptures. Jesus said, O ye of little faith. The disciples would come to Jesus and say, we couldn't do that. And Jesus would say, well, for one thing, you don't have enough faith. Jesus was uniquely qualified to see it and say it, whereas it's impossible for me to judge the level of a person's faith. Amen. It's not possible. Amen. Perhaps here's the balance. Instead of treating faith like a guarantee to get everything that I ask for, see faith as to God's unlimited ability. A faith that says, God, you can do anything. And it's not like the other way, it's kind of like I got my faith card. I, got my, I can throw it down anytime I want. I can trump anything. No, I got my faith. No, you got a God that can do anything. That's what you have. You have a God that loves you and knows you and cares for you and will, will do far beyond what you can ever ask or think. That's the God that you serve, that he, is, he, he can do anything. In Mark 9, Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he met a man who had a demon-possessed son. So the disciples tried to confront the demon, and it wasn't working. Jesus said, so Jesus comes in on the scene. I want you to think about this. Here's this argument going on, and tons of commotion. And there's this demon boy just all over the place, right? And, and the disciples, they're, they're doing everything they can to cast out this this, this demon. And so Jesus walks up and he says in verse 16, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. And the man said, teacher, 
I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. They brought the boy, the demon seeing Jesus threw the boy to the ground. I'm like, I'll show you who's boss, right? He's convulsing and foaming. Jesus turns to the boy. He casts out the demon. Verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Interesting question. It's, uh, you know, how long has he been like that? I'm sure a long time. I don't know, obviously, the level of that man's faith or, you know, if he had had other people try to cast out a demon and it didn't work. But, you know, time can make us lethargic. When we don't get prayers answered, we can become just whatever. But we, we can become that way. And the, the man says, from childhood, he said. It often throws him into the fire or into, a, or into the water trying to kill him. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants your life. And that's just the truth. That's who he is. That's what he is. He wants your life. And any joy, he wants to steal that too. Uh, it often throws him into the fire. He says, but, he says this, but if, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. <laughs> if, if you can, <laughs> like, Jesus doesn't say, if I can, <laughs> it's like, if you can, like seriously, you're really going to say that? If you can? Echo Jesus, all things are possible to him who believes. The most important element of our faith is the constant understanding that God can do anything. That there's no ifs. If you've prayed a thousand times, there's no ifs. And I'm so glad this next verse is recorded because I, I just think about it a lot. Immediately, the boy's father cried out, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. In other words, I, you know that little seed thing? Like, I think I have half a seed, you know. I think I got half of the mustard seed. Like, I believe, but help me, God, with my unbelief. In other words, don't just pitch the whole thing. God, forgive me for the if. Please help the part of me that doubts. God's not limited. So he rebuked the spirit. It came out. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Now, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. And honestly, I did not want to include this section for the sake of time as well. Um, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied. And he said, 
this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, I'm reading the NIV Bible in, in this one. There's many other translations, lots of translations that only use prayer, and they don't use prayer and fasting. Now, um, the reason for that is a different discussion, discussion for a different day. Uh, the, the Syriac manuscripts are the oldest manuscripts that there are. And it only uses prayer. Later on, they put in fasting. But, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and we were discussing this. I actually was discussing this point. Uh, maybe not even wanting to include this, because you never want to cast doubt on God's word. Because it's so perfect. It's so beautiful. Nothing in this world even comes close to the perfection of God's word. And but you know, like if we look at something just kind of kind of quickly, you can go, well, you know, that's um, who who knows, like. But uh, so, and again, that's a different discussion for a different day. So what I want to do is I want to keep our attention on the way I quoted it that says that this only comes out through prayer. And I began to think of that, and we were discussing it together. And I kind of think this. You know, if you read that scripture and concentrate on the prayer and don't immediately go to the fasting, like most people would do, well, I got to fast. Like, this isn't happening, so I got to fast. Well, what about the prayer? Oh, well, prayer goes with the fasting. No. No. This comes out through prayer. You know what I think? I think that the disciples maybe woke up that morning without really coming to God, Yahweh, in prayer. You know, well, Jesus sent us out. Like, we could go do all these things. So, like, in the name of Jesus, right, we're just going to do all these things. No, there is a daily, there is a, a every moment need in our life. The Bible says to pray continuously. God, help me through this day. I am going to come across things that are way too big for me. Way too big. I need you, God. There might be a demon that needs to come out, and I know that within myself, I might not even have faith for that. God, I need you. Now, I don't know that. I'm just supposing this. But I want us to, but we're talking about prayer. So I, I fully believe that, um, that in this whole thing of prayer, um, God is saying this. And as I began to discuss this with my friend, two points came up. Number one is, I think, when with prayer, God wants to involve you in the process. Do you not think he does not know what you're going to say? He knew before time what your prayer would be. Why did you have to utter it? God wants you involved in the process. That's what he wants. And another thing it shows is dependency on God. Because too easily in this life, we depend on ourselves. We depend on our friends. We depend on the newspaper. Does anyone still read the newspaper? We depend. It's so easy to depend on everything else. God wants you in the process, and he wants you dependent on him. He wants you in the process, and he wants you to depend on him. Bring God in the process. Bring God in the process. When you don't get the answer, keep God in the process. God is to be in the process. The emphasis of what we're to hold on to in terms of faith is what I think best expressed in Ephesians 3. Now to him, not your faith. Now to him 
who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to whose power? My faith? His power. That is at work within us. In other words, I'm asking for A, but you can do immeasurably more than that. You can do immeasurably more. I'm praying according to your word, but you set the times and the seasons. You're working even if I don't see it. And that, that work includes working in me. Right? Working in me. Romans 8.28 says that we know in all things God works for good to those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. Instead of you have to, we put our faith in God that you can. You can. You are unlimited in your power. Number two of a reason why it might appear that God's not answering our prayer is that we don't persevere in prayer. Jesus talks about a, win a widow in Luke 18. She comes before an unjust judge, and the woman keeps coming and coming to get justice. Coming and coming and coming and coming. In Luke 18, 4 and 5, this is, I think, out of the NLT. It says, for some, time she uh, for, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or I care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> like, lady's gonna, she's gonna, she wants to kill me because she keeps coming and I'm not doing anything. She's continuously lodging her complaint, so I'm just going to grant her her wish. Basically saying, like, I'm tired of seeing your face in the courtroom. Now, he's unjust. you got to note that. He does it because he's lost patience, not because he cares for the woman. He wants to just get rid of her. In comparison, God loves his children. He longs to bless them. He wants them to see good things. Jesus told the story so we would be persistent, that we would understand that prayer requires persistence. In other passage, passages talk about the need to persevere. In the bumper that we listened to with Jake and Asha, said, we just repeated the prayer night after night. He said, sometimes some pretty weak prayers. See what I mean? In other words, I'm, we're going to come. We're just not going to let down on this. Another thing, uh, number three, another reason on your outline, it might appear that God's not answering, is that we are temporal-minded. We ask for things as if this world is all there is. We're fixated and we're focused on things of a temporal nature rather than an eternal nature. We can easily ignore passages like Colossians 3 that says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on, on things above, not on earthly things. It's important, yeah, right? We want to function in this world, right? It's a, you know, God has called us to do things, but... 
So easy is it to concentrate and to think of things in this world and um, not to uh, pray about things that are eternal but maybe more material. Um, I think if we drew a line down the middle of a piece of paper and we wrote on each side everything that's temporal and everything that's eternal, I wonder how that would look. Uh, Number four of why it might appear that God's not answering our prayers is our view doesn't match God's view. Simply put, God understands our situation better than we do. It's not that God isn't responding, we're just not getting our way. And there's a very high probability it's not God's way. It can be, right? Here's a scripture that does wonders for the heart when it comes to unanswered prayer. 1 Corinthians 13, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We simply don't and can't have all the information. Maybe it's delayed for a reason. Maybe Maybe God is not going to answer it because maybe it's not according to His will. That's why it's important to pray according to His will. Holy Spirit, guide me to pray Your will. Right? Some commentators believe that this is actually a very lame explanation. It's a rationale to explain God's oversight and lack of concern. But here's the deal. It's not an opinion. Paul clearly says that we just don't see clearly. We can't do it. Isaiah 55, this is awesome. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. That pretty much sums it up. That God is all-knowing, He's all-loving, He's just, and I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to keep believing, but I don't, have all the, I don't have the ability to know everything. We are limited. God's saying, I'm not always going to do things the way that you think I should. God's more like, I am only going to do things my way with my perspective. How about this? My eternal perspective. We forget that we are created to live forever. And we have an expiration date. That's the way we need to be praying. When difficulty slams into your life, think of eternity because the Spirit lives on. Another reason why it appears that God is not answering your ask and your seek and your knock is because we fail to see the value of suffering. 2 Corinthians 4, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In fact, at the beginning of this very letter in 2 Corinthians, in in the very first chapter, Paul says this, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. 
we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought that we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. Wow. You know, it was so bad for them that they even looked forward to death. They had an eternal perspective. Our reality must not be centered on this life, on what is temporal. Paul calls it light and momentary, and we can make it heavy and never-ending. Light and momentary, heavy, never-ending. Light and momentary, when you think in the eternal, heavy and never-ending. When you're thinking not in an eternal way. Also in this very letter, if you go now go up some chapters in chapter 12, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. How about that one? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Is it possible that there is a power that can rest on you in a greater measure because of that situation, that thorn, that prayer? That you're never going to bow or bend your knee to the thought that God isn't good and faithful and have faith through it all. Oh, you'll be healed one day. When you're with the Lord, oh, there's healing. All, you know, it's like, don't, it's, a, it's about eternity. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul came to the revelation that some difficulties actually have a redemptive value. The last reason that I have here, again, I'm sure that there's a lot more in Scripture, but we're just looking at this 21 days of prayer where we're going to be asking and thinking and praying and trying to hear the Lord. We reject the Lord's discipline. Sadly, that's often what hardship is. Hebrews 12 says, 5 through 7, And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Isn't it easy to forget? You know, Laodicea. I mean, man, they just forgot. You have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son... Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes everyone that He accepts as a son. Endure hardship, endure discipline. You know, 
And also the thing that discipline does, I mean, if you're a soldier, if you're training, you know, I'm going to be a SEAL or I'm going to, you know, like there's a lot of training that goes into it. Those hardships, they produce something in us. It's not that maybe it's even a punishment thing, like we reject the Lord's discipline. Maybe it's just discipline, right? It makes you tough. It makes you strong. It makes you believe. So isn't, I mean, when someone's looking at your life, and you're going through something, and you refuse to doubt and have faith in God's goodness. Wow, what a testimony. That's, a, that's powerful. So is that your testimony, or is it, I don't know, I gave up. I don't think we need to, to give up. So it's important that we always ask God, Lord, what can I learn from this trial bring it into the realm of training. And James literally amps it up. He says, consider it pure joy in difficulty. So James like goes a step further. They just don't endure it. Like find joy in it. Because patience must finish its work so we may become complete. Who wants to be complete? I do. Hebrews 12, if the worship team will come up. This is the last verse that I want to read this morning. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, uh, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We must not let our hardships be hardships with no purpose or meaning. (laughs) Let your hardship, what you're going through, have purpose, have meaning, and don't doubt. Ask, continue to ask. God, what are you saying? How can I grow from this? That's the question. So you, we do, we have, all these, we have all these thoughts, all these reasons, but don't say if. Don't say if you can, God can. And God knows everything. And you don't have the full story. And all these other things. And it's training. But I will never doubt God. I will never doubt the love of God. Many people have burnt at the stake saying, I will never doubt God. I will never doubt His love. Right now in the world are people in prison camps for the sake of the gospel. I I will go to prison and I am not going to doubt God. He loves me. He cares for me. There's power in that. I was, uh, the one book, uh, Richard Wormbrand uh, suffered in Romanian prisons. And he actually said later years, his life, later years in his life, he actually moved to America. And um, he wrote the book, Tortured for Christ, I think. And um, he says in his book, he misses the times that he was in prison. He misses it. Why? Well, there was purpose in it. Later on in his life, what did God do? He used the pain and came and, and, and was an impact in a nation, came to America, was an impact in this nation. And, of course, we have the whole the, a majority of the New Testament because of Paul's letters, right? They're just letters to churches. He's in prison, chained up, and he's 
writing away. God's good. He's faithful. Read all the prison epistles, right? He's in prison. <laughs> and they're filled with so much joy. Philippians. You know what the Philippians is? Philippians is a book of joy. If you're depressed and you want to read a great book, read Philippians. Paul's in prison. He's in Rome. He's writing to the Philippians. He's filled with joy. Book, uh, Philippians is the book of joy. And you know where Paul is? He's chained to a guard. And he also told us a few of these stories. Well, actually, that's um, Matthew. And, but I've read some from, of Paul's words in here. So let's pray. Father, we just uh, ask that we would be more like you. and just Lord, Lord, I ask that we would be like little children. <laughs> Lord, let us be little children that just believe and trust you and know that you're a good daddy, that you're a good father. And Lord, just continue to challenge us, Lord, in this life to be eternally minded knowing that this life is very limited, that there really is an expiration date. So God, let us be eternally minded and not materialistic. God, I ask that during this 21 days that we would formulate prayers that would be according to your will. Not our own minimal thoughts with minimal knowledge. Help us, God, to speak eternally. We love you, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, We'd love to hear about it, so please drop us a note.